take this opportunity. Amen. Don't waste any time. Amen. I'm ready to fill this house with praise, aren't you? Amen. If you're joining by way of the internet tonight, amen, we welcome you. Amen. Just create an atmosphere in your home. The Holy Spirit would be pleased to pass as he's passing by to just give you a visit. Amen. I know he can touch your heart. He can reach out and touch you wherever you are, friends. Amen. So let's sing together. This is the air I breathe, same key. This is, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Daily bread, 
nice to to sing praises to his name amen hallelujah we're going to ask brother uh andy irish if he would uh, come forward to take a few needs that we have before us before the lord amen we just want you to be in prayer for my aunt sherry man she had a a fall recently and i know she's been dealing with some pain i pray that you would uh, remember her in prayer and remember sister uh cindy walters in prayer as well she also had a fall and 
requested prayer last Sunday. Just ask that you continue to remember her in prayer. Amen. I have a special need here uh, for Sister Carol Henley's uh, brother. He's dealing with some very serious health issues. We ask that you hold him up in prayer before the Lord. Amen. Uh, We want to remember Sister Karen in prayer. Special need unspoken for her. Amen. That's all I have at this time. Amen. Do you have unspoken prayer requests by uplifted hands? Wherever you are, just hold that on your heart before the Lord as Brother Andy comes to take these needs before the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Lovely Lord Jesus, we're so thankful, Father, that we can gather together like this, Lord. In such times that we live in, Father, the world is uncertain. The world's falling apart. There just seems like there's instability everywhere. But, Lord, we're thankful that we can stand upon that rock. And, Lord, we can stay solid during this time. And it's only because of you and your grace, Father. And for that, we are so very thankful. And, Lord, we come tonight, Father. Though we may be few in number in this building, there are many hearts that are crying out to you now, Father, joining us together in prayer. And so we would ask, Lord, that you'd forgive us for anything we've done wrong, whether it be in thought or word or deed. And, Father, look at that righteous one that took our place. And hear us through that blood, Father. You've heard those requests, Lord Jesus. Two people have fallen, Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the great physician would draw near and give them a touch, Father. Lord, we think of Carol Henley's brother. Lord, a great need, but not to you, Father. And so we would ask that you would minister to him, Father. And Lord, we think of those that are traveling. Give them traveling mercies. Father, those unspoken prayer requests, Lord, they're spoken to you. And we would ask that you'd meet their need in your perfect will. And Father, as we change the order of the service, we would ask that you would draw near. We would ask that you would use that vessel. Though it may be Brother Barry, it may be his voice, but Lord, let it be the very mind of God coming across this pulpit tonight to give us what we have need of in the hour that we live in. Father, we give you this day, we give you this time, and we ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andy. And those of you that are here, you can have your seats for just a few minutes. Before our pastor comes, we're going to sing a song or two more. And we're just going to make way for the Word of God, which is the most important thing. Amen. Sing the song with me through it all. Kiev, I think. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. Many times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials only come to make me strong. 
I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've And I've seen a lot of faces And there were times I felt so all alone Oh, but in my lonely hours Oh, those precious lonely hours Jesus led me know that I am His own. Be thankful for that. Hallelujah. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, friends, I've learned Trust in God through it all, through it all. Oh, I've learned to depend upon His word. So I thank Him for mountains and I thank Him for the valleys and I thank Him for storms He's brought me through You know if I never had a problem how could I know my God could solve them How could I know what faith in God can do? Amen. Oh, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, I've learned to trust in God. song with me as our pastor makes his way key of G brother I sing praises to your name amen I sing praises to your name oh Lord praises to your name oh Lord for your name's praise and grace Hey 
tonight and let's look in the scripture thank you musicians we appreciate you being here tonight and uh, helping us with our worship it sounds so nice let's go to Titus the third chapter tonight and we'll begin there with our first reading Titus chapter 3 I just want to take one verse here at the beginning, but you can, uh, you can hold your Bible there because we're going to go back and just take a look at it again in a moment. But in Titus chapter 3, Paul writes these words. But avoid foolish questions, genealogies, and contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. May the Lord add his blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful always, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to gather in your house with your people. And Lord, when we say the gathering of your people, Lord, now we know that that, of course, includes all of those people that are streaming, Lord, and those that are listening. And we just pray that the present Holy Spirit, Lord, would just minister to our hearts here tonight. And that, Lord, you would minister to the hearts of everyone that's listening. Father, we know that when you come among us, and Lord, when the word is read and ministered, that there's a special presence and an atmosphere that comes, Lord, that we find nowhere else. And so we just ask that you would just come and just pour yourself out upon this place tonight, that, Lord, what is said might be a blessing and an honor to you, Lord, and it also might bring peace and healing and, Lord, strength to those who are listening afar. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just forgive us of our mistakes and our failures, Pray that you would guide us in your will tonight. And Lord, show us what you want to show us from your word. And we'll give you thanks and praise for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. You can take your seats tonight. Well, we are honored uh, to be back and to be here. Let me give you a couple of very quick announcements here tonight. And then we're going to jump right in and study the word for a little while uh, tonight. It's a great... um, Great night for us to be able to do that. Uh, Brother Jaron mentioned Sister Karen uh, Morglier, and uh, she has 
been really battling with uh, her blood pressure, and she told me it would be just fine to mention this. Uh, the doctor has been uh, experimenting and juggling different medications, and we uh, want to hold her up in prayer, if you don't mind, and just trust that the Lord will uh, give her that healing touch that she has need of. Brother Brian McCall, uh, as I mentioned uh, in last Sunday, he lost his job, and so we're just praying that Brother Brian would uh, pick one back up again. Uh, Brother Anwar's mother passed away. Uh, I'm assuming that you knew that. And um, I, I, sorry, there's a lot of things that are said and a lot of things that are sent out. Uh, in their tradition, in their country, uh, funerals happen within 24 hours of a person's passing. And so uh, by the time, um, with the time difference, she had passed away in the evening. And with the time difference, Brother Anwar watched the funeral on his phone uh, the following morning. And uh, I had called and talked to him just right about that time. It was a real shock to them. Even though she was elderly, uh, they had no idea that she had any, uh, you know, conflict in terms of her health. But uh, she fell into a, a coma. She was unresponsive for several days and then uh, slipped away. So I told Brother Anwar that we would sure uh, be remembering him and all of the family in prayer. They really appreciated the uh, concern that was shown to them. We sent flowers to him and his family and, and so forth. And um, <clears throat> been a real shock to their family for sure. Sister Tracy Rabin also uh, sent a testimony, and she was very thankful for uh, the response in the assembly. Her, her mother uh, had a sickness for a long time, and, and uh, Sister Tracy had spent um, uh, a long, long season dealing with her mother and helping her and caring for her in a very uh, immediate way. And so uh, it, was, um, it was certainly a uh, difficult thing for her and a big change for her now uh, with the passing of her mother. But she said that when she was in the hospice house, uh, they had, she had turned on the service here Sunday morning. And she said the hospice nurse was there and her mother was there and she was there. And she said that even the hospice nurse commented on how nice an atmosphere the service brought into the room. And she said it was just the singing and the worship and the ministering and all of that. And during all of that uh, which happened, she passed away. She just slipped away uh, in, into eternity. And so uh, the hospice nurse was quite, uh, you know, she'd never seen it. She said she'd never seen anything like that. And uh, Sister Tracy said she really appreciated everything that was done. Uh, you know, not only uh, not only to have the service, but then to have the service broadcast as well and uh, be, have it accessible to everybody. So that was really nice. Now, <clears throat> let me just make a couple of comments about Sunday. And Lord willing, we're going to uh, be coming back on Sunday. And uh, we're going to do that uh, as safely and as sensibly as we possibly can. Our desire is to get everybody uh, that we can fit in the sanctuary. Uh, the seating is going to be a little bit uh, changed. We're going to have some ropes and things so everybody's not bunched up together. It'll be first come, first serve uh, in terms of being here in the sanctuary. And uh, this is Brother Tom's, uh, this is his day. I mean, this is his day in court. And, uh, but uh, joking aside, if, if we're able to fit everybody in here, great. If not, we'll overflow into the, into the fellowship hall. And we have a screen there, and we'll be able to allow people to spread out in there and uh, be able to enjoy the service there. But if you're able to get here early, uh, that will be 
um, to your benefit to be inside the sanctuary. We will have a document. Uh, the document is almost ready, and we'll be sending that out, and it'll have guidelines in terms of what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. It's, it's, a lot of it is uh, much of the same that we uh, stated for outside in the uh, shelter services that we had. And uh, we'll ask everybody to comply with that and uh, to, to read them over and make sure your kids understand. Uh, so we'll have, you know, parents accompany little kids that they have to go to the restroom and uh, so forth. And uh, all of the uh, deacons will be on deck, and we will invite everybody to respect what the deacons say, especially in terms of moving families around if we need to do that, even if we have to move people out of their ordinary seats. And I know that's a big deal, but we'll try to do that anyway. We, uh, we are trying to follow uh, the guidelines that are given to us by the state. We don't make these guidelines. We don't make these rules. But they're, they're in place for a reason. And, you know, to me, hey, uh, I'm, I'm just glad we're able to get together. I, I'm glad we're able to do it. So, you know what, whatever we need to do, let's do it. They're not infringing on our faith at all. Uh, they're not telling us, you know, how to act when we come together and what to preach. They're just telling us how we should conduct ourselves. So, we have the, the, the distancing that we have to abide by and, you know, washing our hands and doing everything else. I will tell you, I will assure you uh, that in the state of North Carolina, things are easier than they are in other states. And I will assure you that it would not be pleasant for you to have to wear a mask all the time that you're in church. But we don't have to do that. And so I'm thankful for that at this point. I also want to motivate everybody who's listening tonight. In saying that, I would like to, after Sunday, I would like to keep the church open. I would like to keep it open so that we can have continual services here. That's my desire. And I think it's your desire as well for us to be able to meet here. Uh, Zooming's great. Broadcasts are great. But it's not the same. And I would like, if we can, I would like to be able to uh, have service here in the sanctuary. The way that we're going to prevent that, the way that we're going to stop that, is if we do not abide by the regulations that are given to us, and, and let's just say, God forbid, if somebody in here uh, catches infection because of where you are, where you work, or whatever else, and we come in here and we don't social distance, that could easily spread within a church building very quickly. And the government has already, the government of North Carolina and the, the federal authorities and medical people have said that that's a possibility. When you put everybody in the same room like this and everybody sings and, and we're going to really sing on Sunday and we're going to really amen on Sunday and all of that. And, and so when you, when you have that uh, condition, then the possibility for, uh, you know, for inf- uh, infection occurs. I mean, it's, it's present. It's there. It's there when you go to Walmart. It's there anywhere, anywhere that you go. But we want to try to minimize it here because if it, if it happens to spread here, it, it's quite possible that we might not be able to have service and we'd have to go back to streaming again. I don't want to do that. So I'm asking for all of our young people. I'm asking for parents. And the deacons are all on board with this, and we'll hear from them on Sunday as well. And we want you to stay apart. We want you to f- be able to fellowship together, but not like this. We want you to fellowship like this. Okay? Everybody understand. Everybody online understand. You can text me an amen. And I'm, I'm doing that not because I don't want to shake your hand and I don't want to have fellowship with you. We do. That's why we're, that's why we're anxious to come back together. But we want to keep it that way. So the motivation is for us to follow the guidelines that are given. They'll be clearly spelled out in the document that you get. Uh, and and it, it is, I think, pretty clear so that we can continue to do this. 
And if you're sick, stay home. If you're nervous about being in a crowd, stay home. If you're elderly or uh, immunocompromised or something else, or you're on a medication that makes you vulnerable, stay home. No one is going to fault you for staying home. Nobody's going to uh, look, look differently at you if you stay home. That's entirely up to you. We are, we are thankful and we are capable of streaming just like we have been. And so no one would miss anything uh, in terms of the services. So we want you to feel free and feel comfortable in doing, uh, uh, you know, in, in coming together. And so uh, we will uh, send you a little more instruction as we get through the week here. And uh, if I send it to you now, no one would remember by Saturday and say, did he send something or did he not? But uh, we'll send you some information so you can familiarize it, yourselves with it and be able to share it with your family so that they know uh, as well uh, what, what the guidelines are. So, again, we're not, we're not, not wanting to people to fellowship, but we just want to do it in a reasonable and a safe way so that, so that folks can, we can continue to come to church. That's the motivation. And we can continue to come without having to wear masks. That's the motivation because it's really hard to preach when you're wearing a mask. So if you don't mind, uh, you know, respecting those guidelines, that would be really great. And uh, remember, it's first come, first serve inside the sanctuary here. Overflow will move out into the fellowship hall over there. And uh, we're not going to use the classrooms. Our Sunday school will continue online for now until we're able to get back safely together again. And uh, the, uh, the other things that uh, we have will be uh, outlined in the guidelines that we'll send out to you. Um, and like I say, the, um, you know, I, I know some people have said to me already that, well, you know what, uh, we, we've seen each other or we've visited somebody. Uh, what you do outside of here is fine, but when you come on the grounds here, I think it's important for us to maintain a testimony that we are respectful of the guidelines that are given to us, and I am thankful for the opportunity for us to be able to get together. And like I say, even very close around us, there are states that are not able to enjoy the freedoms that we have. So uh, we're thankful for that. In, in, um, in one of the neighboring states, there was uh, you know, a church there that uh, lost several people who were regular members of their church and got together kind of in a casual way. And there was a couple of them who died, uh, passed away because of the, the sickness that there just kind of broke out in that cluster. And uh, so it's been very hard for that assembly, for sure. So... Uh, I just appreciate everybody's uh, grace and everybody's uh, patience and everybody's love and everybody's concern. And, uh, we, we are thankful in advance for all of that. Now let me just preamble just a little bit and say this uh, tonight, that <clears throat> this, is, um, this is not the first time that... Uh, Churches have, you know, had to deal with things, and uh, as I've said to you before, pastors, you know, we're, de- we're dealing with things in uh, in new ways. These are not things that we've ordinarily had to talk about, and uh, you know, uh, for for a, a church and believing uh, families not to be able to get together, it's a it's an awkward thing. It's an unusual thing, and uh, there are all kinds of uh, forms of opposition that Satan will come up with, and he'll utilize in seasons like this. And I found this quote by John Wesley. I've been trying to get it on our website here, but I I just thought it was a great statement, and it's been one that I keep with me all the time, and I just thought I'd share it with you tonight. 
that unless God has raised you for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Be not weary in well-doing. John Wesley. I thought that was a very uh, very fitting statement for the time that we're living in. Um, let's just turn our thoughts to the Word here, and uh, let's take our Bibles. If you have them, you're at home and uh, listening in. Let's, uh, let's go back to Titus chapter 3 if you have it open here. Now, Paul, uh, in, in writing this, he, he provides a contrast for us, and I'm going to do that for you as well. Uh, tonight here and looking at this Bible verse. Let me give you a little quotation that starts us off here. It becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In 1961, Brother Manna makes this statement about the times of Noah, the days of Noah. Now remember now, Jesus referred to that time as a parallel to this time. And he said, Noah knew because he had not got his ministry from some school, but he had talked face to face with God. Noah knew what was coming. Noah knew what he should be doing. Noah knew that despite what anybody else said, what God had said was more important and more true than what anybody else around him had said. Right? So here's the whole world, and I've illustrated this before, the whole world is moving towards judgment. It's moving towards a turning point like no other in history. This is the year 2000. This has never happened before where God cleaned the earth off except for one family. And the the whole world is moving towards that moment in in unison. They're all together. And they're moving towards that day when the rain begins to start. And there's only one man who knows what's going on. That's Noah. There's only one man and the people in his congregation, which happened to be his family. And, and, And the whole world is, they've got all kinds of ideas about, well, it might be this, and so-and-so said this, and I Googled that, and, uh, because it's a day like our day. Right? So, hey, listen, back in that day, I don't doubt everybody would have had an opinion about what Noah's message was. Everybody would have had a thought. And you know what? Everybody would have been an expert on whether there's rain or no rain. Just like everybody's an expert now on viruses, right? Everybody, everybody's got their black belt in viruses now, and everybody knows just what they need to know because they've read some blog that's been written by somebody's school buddy's uncle. Anyway, notice what he says here. Noah knew because he had not got his ministry from some school, but he talked face-to-face with God. That's what separated Noah in terms of his knowing. That's what made the difference for him. And he knew there was coming a flood. And it was firmly against scientific matters in that day. The scientists, no doubt, criticized Noah and said, we can scientifically prove to you that there's no water up there. For they were a great age then, more scientific than we are today. Must have been rough. And you know, Jesus referred to it as it was in the days of Noah. And they were farther advanced than we are. And they could prove that there was no water there. But just the same, it was becoming to Noah, after he knew the plan of God, that he hammered away on the ark just the same, for he knew that only that ark would be the only thing that would float. He knew that. He didn't know a whole lot of other details, but he knew this, that if God has designed this, it's going to float through the form of judgment that's coming on the earth. Though God can sweep judgment right across the earth and destroy almost all of mankind, And the creation that he made, if God gave me the plan for this boat, 
then you know what? We're going to make it through. So he plugged away, and he did it no matter what, and he just kept going. Uh, he didn't have to understand all the details or how God was going to do it. He just did it anyway. He believed. By faith, he built that ark for the saving of his household. Isn't that right? That's a, that's a great parallel for our time. No matter if it was scientifically proven, there was no water there. If the Word of God had said it would rain, it's going to rain. It's amazing to me how many people jumped ship when it came to the absolute in the time of the virus. All of a sudden, everybody's listening to experts who are coming up with solutions, and they've all got ideas, and they've all got opinions and so forth, and, and they've got them, and they're so varied because people jump ship when it comes to holding on to the absolute that God's given to us. Hey, you know what? My job has always been and is and will continue to be to hold on to the Word and let the Holy Spirit be my guide. It always has been, and nothing's changed. And I think it does us well in this, in this dry run for uh, the judgment cycle breaking out in our world, because that's what I, that's what I believe we're going to continue to see, is a judgment cycle that probably will not end until the bride gets out of here. This is kind of a good dry run for us to see how people react. And some people, you know, they'll jump, they'll, they'll run this way, and they'll run that way, and they'll pick up on this opinion and that opinion, and they'll take their, their, opinion, their new opinions and force them down your throat. And I don't find anywhere where Noah did that. He just went plugging away on the ark because he knew that God had given him the instructions on how to build it. And he preached the truth, right? <clears throat> I don't find anywhere where Brother Branham uh, did, did anything similar uh, to, to that except just hang on to the Word. He kept telling us, come back to the Word of God. He said, even if I say something contrary, you stay with the Word. Just stay right with it. Just stay right there. That's what his advice always was, consistently, from the beginning of the ministry right to the end of the ministry, is to just stay with the Word. To me, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. No matter if it was scientifically proven there was no water there, if the Word of God had said it would rain, it's going to rain. I will tell you something. I feel mostly for the people, I feel mostly for the people who don't have an absolute to lean on at all. And they're out there floating around saying, well, you know, the, the, this one says this, and then this one says this, and then there's new evidence for this, and there's data for that, and all the other things that go on. And people are out there, you talk about tossed to and fro. You talk about people on an unstable foundation. I'll tell you what, saints of God, I, I've, I've, just, I've just learned to appreciate this whole concept of an absolute much more recently than I ever have in my life. Because our understanding and our, 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 to me, our progress is more relational than circumstantial. And let me, exp- let me give you an example of what I mean when I say that. Uh, to me, our, 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 future, our future is God-ordained. And election has already determined how this is going to come out. Election has already determined who's going to be there. And to me, the important thing is for you to have a relationship with God, not understand all the circumstances that surround us. It's like this. It's like if a mom takes a baby to the doctor, okay, and the baby is one year old and one year old, and, uh, you know, she, the baby is w- with his mom. He, he, he trusts in his mother. And even though they go to the doctor and the doctor might pull out a needle and give him a shot or give him some uh, sort of a procedure that might hurt, the baby might not fully understand that. But you know what? My mom brought me here. So even if I don't get it right now, my mom brought me here. 
And the baby's trust is relational, not circumstantial. Am I making sense? And we as the children of God, we as the people of God, you know what? We're in His arms. And we trust Him, even though there might be difficulties up the road. Even though there may be things happen that we don't understand. Even though there are things that happen that are not logical. Anybody feel that way? Listen, even though there are things that happen that may truly be unjust in your view. You know what? Our Lord Jesus brought us here. And I'm in His arms. I'm under His control. And I know He's never going to bring me anywhere that's not going to be for my good. So no matter how dark it gets, and no matter where we have to go, and no matter what we have to put up with, and no matter what happens to this church, I mean, can't you see now how, real, how close it could be for the government to step in and say, we need buildings. You know what? We need buildings for supplies, or we need whatever else. And imminent domain laws already are in place to be able to take properties like ours and, and be able to use them for whatever. And I mean, we'd be out. You can see how, in a very, very short time, lots of things can change. But you know what? Hey, I'm in his arms. And I may not understand, and I may not even like it. It may even hurt. But you know what? I'm in his arms, and I'm going to let him carry me through. So our, our, our progress depends on a relationship rather than an understanding of all the circumstances that happen around us. To me, I, I, you know, I feel personally the, uh, the beautiful thing about, you know, as a pastor is that we, we minister to people line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's how we minister to people. And over time, there, there, there's something that's, that's growing, something that's forming in the hearts of the people. Evangelists have a different ministry and prophets have a different ministry because they burst on the scene, they fade out of the scene and, and all the rest of it. But for pastors, it's line upon line, line upon uh, here a little and there a little. And that's, to me, that's the way we proceed. We just take it one step at a time because I believe he's carrying us and I believe that you have to trust in him. And your trust in him is going to have to be developed. It's going to have to be certain. It's going to have to be real. Because we're not letting anybody else carry us. We're letting him carry us. And he's the one who's got control of the future. And I believe that's what Noah did. Noah, he was surrounded by people scientifically who could prove everything that he said was false. But it didn't matter to Noah. He just kept plugging away on the ark. Because he believed the word of God was stronger than science. Now, that doesn't mean, again, I've got to say this. I wish I didn't have to always backtrack and say this. Should I wash my hands? Wash your hands. It's not that we disregard everything that everybody's saying out there. But I ha- I, my faith is in something stronger or more sure than the dictates of this world. We're not under the leadership of this world. We're under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Brother Bram says again in 1963, he says, I'm tied to that ultimate. That's the end of all strife. I'm tied to it. That's my life. I was a sinner when Christ saved me. I met something. And since that came into me, it's been different. And I'm tried, I'm tied to it. Everything that I am is tied right there. And then God separating his life and let me live in him and him and me, and then we're tied. I don't, it don't make any difference what others want to believe. To the individual, you are tied to that. That's your ultimate. That's the last word. The last word is, is what God says. The absolute is what God says, isn't that right? It's amazing how people will come up with, uh, they'll come up with, uh, or, or let me say this, 
They'll jump in and follow certain things, you know, conspiracy theories and different ideas, and they'll just run off the deep end and make you feel bad when you don't agree with them. They sure will. I get things that are sent to me. I, I Listen, I'm just afraid it's probably a good thing that they might be listening. It, pro- it is a good thing. Because if not, I tell you. And you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe some of the things that are you. Uh, you probably would. It's nuts out there. So therefore, my advice to you tonight is avoid foolish things. Now, let's, let's find this in the scripture. Because this is, this is to me, uh, I had this one word that was rolling over in my mind over the last week or so. And I just <clears throat> I took my Bible out and I just went on a little search. And, of course, it it was just a wonderful thing. Now, look in Titus chapter 3 with me again. And in verse 8, Paul writes to Titus, and he said, This is a faithful saying. This is is something that you should embrace. This is something you should believe. And these things that I will affirm constantly, that they they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And these things are good and profitable unto men. What he's referring to is what he's written in the past two and a half chapters. And he's talked about setting things in order. He's talking about the role of men and women. He's talking about ministry and all of these things. He said, these are things which believers believe. Embrace them. Believe in them. Walk in them. Practice them. These things are good and they're profitable. They'll help you if you follow them. In contrast, in verse 9, and contrast is always good because it helps give us a clear understanding, avoid foolish questions. The word foolish there is moros. It literally means dull, sluggish, and stupid. Sorry, my grandchildren take offense if I use that word, even biblically. But avoid sluggish, dull, stupid questions and genealogies. Now, let me just very briefly. Genealogies are the registers that Jews use nationally to prove and to have pride in their preeminence over Gentiles when it comes to their relation to God. So the genealogies that Paul is referring to there is how the Jews could take you down to the temple and say, I'm the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of all, and go all the way back to David. And then they go all the way from there, based on the records, they would go all the way back to Father Abraham and all the way back. And they would, they would in a sense say, hey, you know what, I'm physically, genetically connected to Adam. Duh, we all are. But I, I, I'm literally in that family tree, and so therefore, you know what? I can't be lost. That's the idea. So I can live any way I want to. I can believe whatever I want to. I can't be lost because I'm in the, I'm in the record. I'm in the genealogy. And this record was a thing that became a source of pride for them. And therefore, they didn't have to think about the Word. They didn't have to think about prayer. They didn't have to think about pursuing God at all because they felt like, hey, if I'm on the record, you know what? Nothing can change that. And therefore, they were better than Gentiles. They would say all the time, you Gentiles can't come down to the temple and show me your lineage back to Father Abraham. You can't do it. And not only that, but they also parallel their genealogy to the ascent of the Savior, which was, which was to come. And so therefore, uh, they, they, they believe that uh, this was, this was uh, the way that uh, they were secure. Their security and their faith was in this, uh, this record of their father and their, their, their uh, grandfather and all the way back. Now hold your finger there for a moment. Just go back to 1 Timothy. Just a couple of books back here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is not a casual reference here that 
Paul makes to Timothy. This is something that actually uh, occurred many times here. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. Or let's read verse 3, remembering without ceasing. Uh, As I besought thee, verse 3, to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which, godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. The law had nothing to do with charity out of a pure heart. Moses' law, thou shalt, thou shalt not, the commandments, uh, that had nothing to do with, you know, whether you were a nice person, whether you exhibited love and whether you exhibited charity and whether you exhibited kindness to one another and forgiveness to one another. Hey, they were bent on, I just, I follow the law. You know, I pay tithes, I'm mint, anise, and rue. I do all of those things that are legally required of me. And that's what they felt was important. Paul turns this right on its head and says, hey, it does not matter that you're a Jew. But now we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and his work of of redemption on the cross of Calvary, right? Now they had to come under the blood. Jew, Gentile, male, female, big or small, uh, great or or not so great. They all had to come under the blood. And the the unifying uh, factor now was the blood of Christ. The unifying element now was the cross. It was not your genealogy. So Paul deals with this very significantly here, and he says to avoid foolish questions. I'm back in Titus here. Genealogies and contentions, which is uh, arguments and so forth, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. They really will, will get nobody any further ahead. Verse 10. A man that is an heretic, and a heretic is simply a follower of false teaching. But what's more dangerous about this, because you know what? All of us are subject to false teaching, Right? You can have a very good speaker talk to you about false, false teaching. And even though the elect cannot be deceived, we can be influenced in our minds to think differently about Scripture than how we should. And don't say you won't, you won't because all of us can be influenced in different ways. And, and out of sincerity. I'm not talking about insincerity. The, the dangerous thing about a heretic is that he can look at the truth, he can look at something that's almost true, and he can pick either one. That's what's dangerous about a heretic. A heretic is somebody who can follow false teaching. And Brother Branham said it this way. He said, you got a dove and a crow. A crow can feed on one or the other, but a dove will only feed on this. A heretic can feed on whatever that's out there. But a, a, a believer will only feed on one thing, and that's the revealed word of the hour. The carcass that God has provided for us, right? And so Paul is saying, when a man is a heretic, after the, he said, after the first and second admonition reject... They deserve mercy. They deserve a witness. But he said, you don't need to make it a life's calling to minister to somebody like that, knowing that he that is, uh, he that is such is perverted. The word subverted is the same in the Greek as perverted. And sinneth being condemned of himself. So a person like that does not need you to put him in the tribulation. He'll find his way there. He'll feed his way into the tribulation. You don't need to put him there. He'll get there on his own. 
But you find that when you, when you deal with believers here, and this is what Paul is saying, there are some things that are absolutely unprofitable, and arguments and genealogies and all the other things here, the lists here, foolish questions, endless questions. I remember, uh, you know, somebody who was a member of this church, uh, actually, for a while, and they were asking me about things that were found on one of the websites that was created contrary to the message, and I, I gave them an absolute foolproof, uh, Google-less answer. So I wasn't researching anything on Google. I was giving them scripture. I was giving them things that were completely out of the Bible. And my eyewitness accounts of things that I saw and experienced and ground I stood on in Israel. He was asking about something that the scripture was saying and Brother Branham had said something about it. And so I gave him the scripture. I gave him my own eyewitness account. I gave him other references if he wanted them. Uh, and, and, and this was, this was uh, you know, kind of one of those waterproof arguments that, where do we go now? You know, I mean, there's no other argument, nothing else you can say. And the, and the phone was silent for a minute, and then he said, well, how about this? And he went to another subject. And I said, hey, 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 hold on, come back, come back. Was, was I right or was I not right? Yeah, but how about this over here? In other words, listen, we don't want to let the truth interfere with what I believe. My goodness, that would be the last thing that we need to have happen. <laughs> Let's move on from there. My goodness, truth? Who cares about that? What's more important is what I believe. The dangerous thing about a heretic is that he can choose truth or error and go with either one. A believer can't do that. Are we okay? A believer can't do that. A believer is, listen, it might take the hide off you, but a believer is going to go with the word. Because that's the way he's built. That's the way he's wired. Now, go to James, if you don't mind, chapter 3. James chapter 3. The whole first part of James chapter 3, down to really verse 12, deals with the tongue and deals with the words that you say and all of the, the other consequences of that because there are consequences for things that we say. And there are consequences even for things that we don't say. But James basically brings a point to us here that's worth noting in verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. How can, there be. how can there be salt and pure water come out of the same well? And when I lived in Ohio, I may have told you before, we, we had a well that was not really a strong well, but it was fresh water. And somebody suggested that we dig deeper in the well to build up more pressure in the shaft and so on. And when the well driller went down a little bit further, bang, he tapped in the salt water. And it was just enough to taint all the water in the well. Now, that causes a problem, especially if you have copper piping, and especially if you have whining and complaining children, which I did. And it was, uh, not really, I did, didn't bother them, but it bothered me more because all the fixtures in the house turned green. And it, there was iron mixed in with that, so when my wife would wash the clothes, uh, you know, you'd be going along getting water in the washer, and then bang, a handful of copper Red would, water would fly into the uh, washer and ruin everything. And uh, so on, so on, so on. There was nothing really we could do with that well but abandon it. There was, there was no way because you can't separate the salt and the fresh water. You can't do that. James is asking this thing. How can a person really be converted? And how can they have two things coming out of them at the same time? That's a paradox that we don't understand here. So 
he, he's, he's dealing with this whole subject, and you can, you can read it down to verse 12 there. He says the same thing in 12. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive trees or a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So this idea of having two things that are, uh, that are in contrast come out of the same thing, hey, that's, that's just impossible. So he gives us another example of this now in 13. Who then is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, which is his life and his manner of speaking and his manner of uh, conducting himself, out of a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. That's a wise man, somebody who displays a good conversation. And his works are works that are characterized by meekness of wisdom. They're not a know-it-all. They're not pushing an agenda. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. How can you have meekness of wisdom and envy and strife come out of the same mouth? You can't have both. So how can there be strife there? How can there be this argumentative spirit here? How can that exist in, in the same heart of somebody who's converted? This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And so, therefore, there's, there's a certain fruit, there's a certain element that, that exists. There's a certain characteristic of people on this side, and then there's a certain characteristic on the other side. And they don't blend together, they don't go together. So let's just break down the words real quickly, where there's envying and strife. Envying is the Greek word zelos. It means excitement of mind, or pursuing or defending anything in behalf of or for a person or a thing, an envious and contentious rivalry and, and jealousy. That's somebody who's pushing for, their, uh, for success in the argument. They, they want to they uh, have their way. They want to uh, argue their way to, to, uh, 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 to win the debate. And if they're not successful, there's other spirits that are going to arise out of this, like jealousy and contentious rivalry. I will tell you something. It's a very difficult thing when you have rivalry within the church. Well, I want to play the piano, and I want to preach, and I want to do this, and I want to be recognized, and I want to do something else. When you have that kind of rivalry that goes on, when you have it in a family, when you have it in a group, it, it becomes a very destructive thing. The word strife here means, and this was what I thought was really interesting, it means electioneering for office, a desire to put oneself forward. And it doesn't matter if I divide the people when I do so, to be fractious. In other words, I'm going to say what you want to hear. I'm going to do what you really want to do so that you'll be on my side. A politician will rather wait to make a statement to find out how the electorate is probably going to react before he makes a statement. A lot of these statements that are made, a lot of these things that are done politically... Are, are, are done because they have a pretty good sense of what the response is going to be or the reaction is going to be before they make it. Because they don't want to get up and say, well, you know, I think we should spend $29 million, million on, a, on a new dam here for Michigan. And then everybody says, oh, man, that's the last thing you should do. And, and that would be a terrible thing and all the rest of it, and they'll turn that around. And then for him to get up and say, I don't think we should spend $29 million on a, on a dam in Michigan. I think we should spend $29 million on... 
um, on opening up all the Ford plants in the world. In other words, he's doing a flip-flop. He's going the other way. And what he's really doing is trying to appeal to a base here. He's trying to make sure he says something uh, that's going to appeal to the people who are going to get him in there. It doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter whether it has any virtue or not. It's just, is my goal going to be met by me saying what I'm about to say? Let me tell you, there's a lot of people who are employed, a lot of people earn big money by trying to figure out what the consequences are of politicians saying certain things to the electorate. And so, therefore, uh, this is the idea that, that uh, Paul is saying that where there's envying and strife, where there's this kind of thing going on, you know what? You have a person that's not really concerned about what's true or not, but rather making his kingdom bigger and his kingdom more secure. That's his concern. The concern is much more selfish than his concern for the body. Politics has no place in the house of God. I believe that God hates this spirit. I believe that God detests this kind of a thing, where people are uh, compromising here and there and you know, trying to do things just to, be, just to be liked or agreed with or whatever else. Hey, listen, uh, Brother Branham said about Noah, he said, I'd rather have a guy who met God face to face than somebody who... You know, went to school, learned how to say it, learned how to make everybody happy. He said, I'd rather have a man who just didn't know much but met God face to face. And then uh, Paul, or sorry, James goes on and writes that uh, in, in, this, uh, in this verse here, in verse 15, he says, where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. It creates an instability. It creates a disorder. Don't you think that that's what Satan's goal always is, is to create instability? To do whatever he can to hinder the forward movement of the church and to try to disturb the peace that the believers have. And so that's his, that's his goal. And this confusion comes from something, and it's that envy and strife that James identifies. So therefore, this, is, this becomes kind of an important thing. Now, again, Brother Branham in an absolute, and he says, What if there was no North Star? How would a man ever find his way in a foggy sea? What if there was no Holy Spirit to direct you to the Word of God to manifest it and prove it? What would we do in this hour? My goodness, that could be wrote, written about our time, couldn't it? What, we, what would we do in this hour if we didn't have some direction, some leadership? The Holy Spirit points only to the Word. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Not part of the Word, but by every word and all of it. He's your absolute in your life. He is also your North Star. And you know, we have to have something or another to settle the end of strife. The answer to the problem that Paul has here is the Word of God, right? That's the, that's the last say. That's the final court of appeal. There is no higher court. And I, I'm thankful that we have the word in such clarity, and we have the word so available. We have the word in, in, in such an understandable and accessible format. We don't have to go far. We don't have to learn a lot. It's, it's, it's within all of our reach. Isn't, isn't that right? Even our young people here. The, 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 entire, the entire book and the open book is within reach of everybody who wants to reach for it. It's an incredible thing. And so, therefore, there's no guesswork in terms of what we should be doing, what we should not be doing. The, the Word of God is available, it's accessible, and I think it's a great thing. Brother Bam says, look what darkness we're in today. He says, look what's going on today. Look at the murder, rape, and strife. He said, why it's come to pass. He refers to Billy Graham talking about things that were, were going, he prophesied were going to happen in California. And he said, the people have just gone insane, shooting, murder, rapes, everything. It's just gone wild on the streets like it did in Chicago last weekend. 
Everybody get out Memorial Day. And you know what they did? Hey, let's kill one another. Our, our numbers are down. And they, it was a free-for-all in Chicago. Highest number of murders, I think, for a long time. He said it's gone wild. So it's a day we're living in and a sodomite day, but it's a light shining. I don't mean to make light of that for you kids that are here. That's not a funny thing at all. It's a sign of the times. And it's a horrible, violent thing. I mean, even if one person dies that way. And if they'd only look, if they'd only see and look into the Word of God and see what's supposed to be in this hour, they would know what's trying to be done. And yet you have people out there in religious circles who say, no, it's not the end time. This has nothing to do with that at all. And, you, you, you know, there's, there's prophets ended in the New Testament and in the, in the early church and all the rest of it and taken away the validity of the absolute. They're taking away the authenticity of the absolute that God has provided for us. It's like going to a pharmacy, going to a doctor, getting a prescription, going to the pharmacy, getting what you need to make you well, and then look at it and say, well, you know what, I don't need to take that. What more can the doctor do? What more can the pharmacy do? And, and in a very real sense, what more can God do than to give it to us in the, in the plain way that he's given it to us? All right, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let's look at this scripture. As I've said to you before, much of the New Testament is based on the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus used referred to the book of Deuteronomy more than any other, any other Old Testament book. Deuteronomy 17 is a great, um, great compilation of, of truths here. And I just, just to give you a little bit of an overview. Deuteronomy 17, verse 1. Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock sheep wherein is blemish. Or any evil favoredness, for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. The sacrifice had to be perfect. But God says, don't bring something that's imperfect in terms of worship here. This is what God desires. Now, from verse 2 down to verse 7, God talks about the consequences when you have a person among you within your gates, a man or a woman, that has wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord in the assembly. In verse 3, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun and the moon or any of the host of heaven which I have not commanded. When you find that, then therefore you shall put this person to death. This is verse 6. So right away you kind of get this sense that there are certain things that when, when God identifies them, when they're confronted, this is something that God does not want to have within the assembly. This is not something that God wants there. And, and to me, that's, that's a, a very telling thing because it, it gives us an idea about the mind of God and how he looks at our worship and how he looks at our lives, not only in here, but he looks at what we bring in here. He looks at what we bring to the table, if you like. And, and this is something that's pretty straightforward. He lays it out pretty clearly. But let's go down, just giving you an overview here in verse 8. This is the part that I wanted you to read with me. If there arise a matter that's too hard for thee in judgment, between blood and blood, family, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, being matters of controversy within thy gates, then shalt thou arise and get thee up into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose, God's provided place, worship. I want you to, when you have a matter that's it's not obvious what the answer is, when you have a matter that, listen, could turn into bitterness, a matter that could turn into controversy or division, 
A matter that can bring confusion among the people. When you have a matter that's too hard for you, here's what you do. God's going to give very specific instructions here on what to do. When you have a situation like this among you, verse 9, Then thou shalt come unto your attorney and unto the judge that... It doesn't say that. What you do is... You go up to the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judge. Not the judge legally, but this is like the judges in the Old Testament. These are ones, men, who handle the word. Okay? That's what the definition is. And unto the judge that shall be in those days and inquire, and they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. And thou shalt do according to the sins which they of that place, which the Lord shall choose, shall show thee, and thou shalt observe to do according to all that they inform thee, if you agree. It doesn't say that. Your obedience now matters when you bring it to the right place to get the right answer. What if I don't agree? Well, there's no provision in here for this. You understand what he's saying here? You're, you're to go along with this as long as you agree. Well, that's not, that's not what it says. I mean, I, I can see the logic what, why you're saying that, but I just can't find any Bible verses to support it. Some people will say, well, I don't want to have this regulation, I don't want to have that, and I don't want to have something else. Well, you know what? Um, it would be nice if we could say, I want to have everything my way all the time. But in reality, it doesn't happen that way. According to the sentence of the law, which they shall teach thee, these are the men who handle the word, and according to the judgment which they shall tell thee, thou shalt do. Thou shalt not decline from the sentence which they shall show thee, to the right hand nor to the left. And the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth to minister there before the Lord thy God unto the judge, Even that man shall die. My goodness, here we go again. (laughs) I mean, God's response is very definitive here. He's being very clear. Thou shalt put away that evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear, and do no more presumptuously. So God put authorities in place in case when, not if, matters will arise that are too difficult for you or not obvious enough for you to be able to resolve yourselves then take it to the Word and let the Word be your judge and go by the judgment that's given to you out of God's Word. Because, hey, again, there's no higher authority. You remember, you remember over in the book of Jeremiah, I've mentioned it too many times for me to go there again. I'd be embarrassed to go there again. But you remember when the remnant was left in Israel, or in Israel, and Jeremiah was there and they pulled him up out of the prison? And they said, should we stay here or go to Egypt? There's jobs in Egypt. Housing prices are good. Cost of living is low. I got relatives in Egypt. Should we go or should we stay? You remember that story? Please. I don't want to have to turn to it. Let me just say this. Jeremiah said, I'll go and ask God. And he went off and prayed and he came back and he said, I got an answer from God. He said, don't go. And they said, we always knew you were a false prophet. We always knew that you were, you know, you were just politicking and, and, you know, we, we can't trust you. 
And so they went to Egypt. And but for the grace of God, they all would have died there. They went to the right place. They got the right answer. And they disregarded it. What, then God goes like this. What more can I do? So this is the idea that's instilled here. Because if we don't settle the matter, then you know what? Satan will ride on top of that confusion. He'll ride on top of those attitudes. He'll, he'll just come in the door of strife. And all of a sudden you have people taking sides. And you know what? You've got a bigger problem in your church center. You've got a bigger problem in your family. Or you've got a bigger problem that exists now. Because this is, these are avenues that are capable of causing a bigger problem within the assembly. So, in respects, 1961, Brother Bram says, Ahab found him, found Elijah, and says, you're the one that's troubling Israel. And Elijah looked back in his face and said, no, not me. You're the one that's troubling Israel. Even Ahab didn't have any respect for him. Because you shed innocent blood of Naboth, so the dogs will lick your blood in the street, and they did, because they disrespected God's messenger. Miriam disrespected it. Aaron disrespected it. Christian or not Christian, you've got to still bring respects to God and respect to what he's doing or suffer the consequence. It's either receive it or go into judgment, either one you want to. Now, if any of you would think that I'm saying this in order to force allegiance to the pastorate here, let me just say this. Think bigger. And think about the fact that the reason this nation is in the shape it's in is because it disregarded the counsel that God provided and provided clearly. It scoffed at the mercies that God extended to this nation even when it was young and it was in its infancy and dominated by foreign powers and yet God showed mercy on it and continued to show mercy on it and then all of a sudden come to the place where they felt in their own arrogance that we are strong and capable and we have money and armies and we don't need to have the help of Jehovah and, and, and the, the, the nation bought into it because of politicking and all the other things that went on and this was the mind of the nation here and they have the leadership that they've had over the years and now all of a sudden here even Americans don't have respect for the thing they ought to have respect for this is about something much bigger than just me this is about something that's bigger than just uh, you know an individual church here but it does also apply to us because there are matters that come up in our lives and there's matters that come up between families and there's questions that I'm asked that hey listen I'm thankful that uh, you know uh, uh, God has said something in his word about it or the message has said something about it here and uh, you know there are people that will take things even things that are done uh, you know in uh, Bible study classes or sermons or uh, you know uh, young people's gatherings or whatever else, and people go off and say, well, you know what, I don't think it is that way, and I don't think it's that way, and I think I can mix Mary, and I think I can do this, and I think I, I don't need to listen to what Brother Bram says about not touching, uh, you know, when it comes to courtship or whatever else. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, I, I, get, I, I get it. that there's, there's a logic there. there. There might be a reasoning for it, but I don't have Scripture to support your point of view. So, therefore, I have a right to, to in a sense... Not hinge my faith upon your point of view. Just like Noah did not have to listen to those scientists around him who were telling him and proving to him categorically that there was no such thing as rain. You know what? I can see what you're saying. And none of us here have ever seen rain. But it doesn't matter. 
Because God's word says something different. So for the people that want to play games, and the people who want to, uh, you know, uh, juggle things around or take pieces out of the puzzle that God's trying to complete, I want to say this. I'm thankful for election. I am thankful for election. Because election secures it. It isn't the quality of my preaching. It isn't your attendance in this church that secures you a place among the bride of Christ. It is election that does it. The problem is is that in a sense, if we're not careful, any one of us could drop the ball when it comes to an absolute. Any one of us could drop the ball when it comes to, you know, we're so, it's, it's kind of a good learning experience for us that when something major happens like we're going through, that all of a sudden we're bombarded by all kinds of information out there. And we tend because it's impossible, completely impossible, to listen to it all and sort it all out. We listen to what we like. We listen to what appeals to us. We listen to what other people we trust listen to. And when we do that, we can fall into the category easily of dropping the ball on what God has said. Or at least put it on a par with what everybody else is saying. And to me, that's not a wise thing to do. We are bombarded. We live in a society where, hey, listen, this happens all the time. So Brother Branham gives us a piece of advice. And I like this advice. Because it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand that when it comes to our rights, if I understand the Bible correctly, I surrendered all my rights at Calvary's cross. I laid down my rights there. I don't know about you. Well, let me read you what Brother Branham said. Let me find the right statement here, if you don't mind. Because it's always good to read the right thing. Before you cut your hair, sister, making the valley full of ditches, did you get down and pray over it and see what the Lord said about it? And before you wore those old sinful, ungodly-looking clothes that you wear, did you get down and pray before the Lord and ask the Lord what to do about that? He didn't condemn you? I'm afraid you didn't. You had your mind already made up what you were going to do before you prayed. I'm just saying what the tapes say. Give me a break. Are you willing to let God shear those things off and take all your rights? You say, this is my rights. I'm American. I do what I want to do. That's right. But are you willing to forfeit them to the kingdom of God? If you're a lamb, you are. If you're a goat, you won't. So there you are. (laughs) I'm glad he said that. So here's Brother Ben's advice. When it comes to the issue of strife, when it comes to the issue of this, this condition that Paul is writing about and Moses includes back in here in the Old Testament here. Here's Brother Bram's advice. I, I, I really like this. He says, don't ever start to try an organization. This is 1965. It's the end of his ministry. It's in July, 65. He says, don't ever try to start an organization. Don't try to build upon anything else. In other words, another foundation. Another great ministry that comes along. But stay humble before the Lord your God, for it looks like the gates may open into the promised land soon. Then let us go in with true singing and rejoicing when the bride and groom takes its place at the throne. 
That's the goal, right? That's the destiny when we go in into the kingdom. So it looks like things are opening up for that to happen now. Here's his advice. Live humble. Live loving. Love one another. Don't never get nothing among you. And if you see something coming up in your heart against somebody, get it out right then. And Satan will do his best to get them right among you. Don't you let that happen. Some slick-tongued fellow might come along and try to make you, take you away from it. You think that they could talk Moses out of the presence of God where he had stood there and seen it? No, sir. We don't take from it or add to it. We just keep it the way the Lord said. We don't want no denomination. We don't want no organization. We don't want no malice. We don't want no strife. We want God, and he's the word. Let's stand to our feet. I agree with that. I agree with that. Strife happens. Disagreements happen. We are, a, we are a passionate people. We are very passionate about what's right. We are very passionate about the message and about the Bible. I mean, we, we're the type of people who, even if we say it lightly, we're a people who are willing to lay our lives down for it. So that's not a light thing. We are a passionate people about the things of God. But I believe that when it comes to being able to deal with one another and, and to be able to uh, look at things out there and try to achieve a balance in, in things. Hey, listen, I, I, I love the way Brother Ram talks about Noah, that even though everybody else had ideas and everybody else had opinions, Noah just kept coming back to it because God said it. And we're going to hold to that. I think that's a good plan of attack for us. I think that's a good approach for us. And I think it's a, it's a strategy that we should, uh, uh, we, are, we are being reminded of is very important because, like I say, there's all kinds of ideas out there. And that's not going to stop. That's here to stay. That's going to be something that, you know, uh, describes the future. To me, I want to I just be faithful to this thing. I want to be faithful to the truth. And I want to hold on to that absolute because it is the absolute because it's right. Through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in Him. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. And many times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials only come to make me
a lot of faces. There were times I felt so all alone in my lonely hours. Those precious lonely hours, Jesus, let me know I am His own. So Learn to trust in God through it all. Yes, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Sing this verse now together. So I thank God for the mountains, and I thank Him for the valleys, and I thank Him for the storms He's brought me through. If I never had a problem, how could I know? my God would solve them. How could I know what faith in God can do? So through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, I've learned Jesus, I do. 
Yes, I do. Oh, anybody knows about the power of my Jesus? Well, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. Depending on you to see us through. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. Jesus, we're depending on you. Depending on you to see us. Sing it one more time. Jesus, oh, we're depending on you. My Jesus. We're depending on you, Jesus. Depending on you, see us through. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the clarity that's found in the Word of God. It seems like there's no human problem, no human condition that's not addressed. And Lord, for everything that we find in this life, for everything that tempts us, and everything that tries to hinder the moving of the bride of Christ forward, there's an answer that's found in the Word of God. And we're thankful for that, Lord. But Lord, it will do no good for us, lest we have a heart to obey. And Lord, may there be in every one of us, everyone who's listening tonight, may there be a willingness and and a, a zeal to follow your word and to obey it, Lord. And to surrender our rights, surrender our ideas, surrender our beliefs even. Lay everything down and let the word of God be true. Lord Jesus, what we believe now matters. And so we want to be found in the center of your will. Be our guide, Lord. Be our strength. Lord, I pray that after all of this time of delay and all this interruption, I pray that you will meet with us Sunday when we come together. And Lord, may the people come in the spirit of worship. And may they be willing, Lord, to just enter into your presence and into your courts with praise. And Father, we we know there are guidelines and all the other things that are there. But Lord, the most important thing is your presence. Because Lord, if your presence is not with us, then like Moses said, we won't go any further. But, Lord, we desire to meet with you. We desire to sit at your feet. We desire, Lord, for you to pour yourself out upon us and bless us in a special way. Father, we commit the assembly into your hands, Lord, for the many needs that are represented among us. Lord, the requests that have been given and the ones that are unspoken. Father, we commit them to you and pray that your Holy Spirit would just minister to each and every individual, we pray. Strengthen families, Lord, I pray. Lift up the hands that hang down. And may your Holy Spirit be present, Lord, among your people. Father, we give you thanks and praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you tonight. We'll see you on Sunday. Come expecting, ready to have church. I go to the rock of my salvation. Go to the stone that the builders rejected. Run to the mountain and 
salvation. Go to the stone that the building.